congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps on listening and reading our text, you said to yourself, this is a long passage. It's long for Luke, it's long for any of the gospel writers. And that tips us off to the fact that this, there's something important being related here to us. It takes, takes time to spell it all out. We are introduced to three people, three famous people. The first, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. We read that when he raised the widow's son from the dead, the people responded in verses 16 and 17, fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The good news of Jesus Christ as someone from God was spreading like wildfire through the land. The second famous person is a Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee. In those days, Pharisees were important men and they were devoted to trying to get every Israelite to adhere to the law strictly. They were respected and sadly also feared. Then there's a third person. We don't even get to know her name. We read about her in verse 37. She is a woman of the city who was a sinner. It's generally understood that she was a prostitute. She sold her body. She gave sex for money. Now, we're not 100% sure of that. It could also be that she was a collaborator with the Romans involved in taxation, which would make her particularly hated by the Jews. But the point is, she was famous for all the wrong reasons. And we presume, most commentators do, that she was a prostitute. So we have three people. Two of them are residents of that town, Nahum, the Pharisee, and the prostitute. Jesus Christ comes to town and he interacts with both. He interacts with the Pharisee, he interacts with the sinful woman, and they respond to him very differently. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And that will result in the question being posed to us, how do we react to Jesus? Who is Jesus to us? What does he mean to us? We summarize our text in this way, which one will love most? And we'll look at three things, Jesus and the sinful woman, Jesus and Simon the Pharisee, Jesus and all the rest of us. So first of all, we're going to look at Jesus and the sinful woman. From the time we meet her, she's bawling her eyes out. She's crying a river of tears. From the moment that, that she comes in. And, and we, we learn very quickly why she's crying. There's two reasons for that. First of all, she's so saddened by her life, by her sins, by being a prostitute or whatever kind of notorious sinner she was. But they were also tears of joy because she was coming to Jesus knowing full well that this Jesus would wash away her sins and cause her to be born again, become a, a completely new person. She knew who Jesus was, she knew what Jesus was, and she knew why she needed Jesus. In fact, what we see here is that she surrenders herself 
totally, completely, 100% to Jesus. She loves him. She adores him. She wants him. She wants a relationship with him. She knows that Jesus and Jesus alone will change her life. And we see that all as we go through our text. Our text is clear that Jesus is invited by the Pharisee. Later on, we learn his name is Simon. Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to his home for dinner. That's quite something. He's a Pharisee. He typically only invites, you know, VIPs, very important people. And dinner was not just a social event, but it was a matter of interaction as, as friends. For Jesus to get invited to the Pharisee's house would be like our MP, Michael Cooper, phoning me and saying, I hear you're a minister in St. Albert. I got a bunch of, you know, important people coming over for dinner. I want you there too. That'd be nice, but it's not going to happen because I don't move in those kind of circles. Apparently, Jesus Christ is a VIP. He is a somebody. The Pharisee wants him at his fancy meal at his home. Now, in verse 36, we read that Simon, Jesus, and the other guests are reclined at table. And you've probably heard this before, but in those days, a table was a, a round, low thing, and there was a couch all the way around. And the guests would crawl onto the couch, facing the table, and they would typically lean on their left elbow, eating, and they could see everybody and talk to everybody. And your feet were dangling off the end of the couch. So when the sinful woman comes in, she has access to Jesus' feet. And she comes there, and she's crying a river of tears, so much that the feet of Jesus are soaking wet with her tears. And so she undoes her hair and begins to, to wash and, and dry Jesus' feet. And then she kisses them. Jesus made, She kept kissing his feet. And she anointed his feet with special oil. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that for this woman, Jesus was someone very special to her. Now, we gather from something that Jesus said later on to Simon the Pharisee that his feet could use a washing. I mean, he'd been walking all day in his sandals and dusty roads, and who knows, maybe he stepped in, in a doo-doo, and boy, his feet were dirty and they were stinky. And who wants to have a meal with dirty, stinky feet, right? It's an uncomfortable situation. The woman takes care of that. She doesn't care about the dust or the mud, or whatever else is sticking to Jesus' feet. She washes it away, dries it with her hair, kisses those feet, and anoints his feet with oil. And what becomes clear to us, brothers and sisters, is that, that the woman doesn't just love Jesus. She is secure in her relationship with Jesus. I mean, here she is, probably a prostitute, standing over this holy, beautiful, amazing man. And she is sure that he will not reject her. She knows that this man will forgive her her sins. Indeed, just before our text, we read that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus loves sinners. 
He loves prostitutes. He loves tax collectors. He loves beggars. He doesn't love their sin, but he loves them. He wants to make them whole and wash them all away. And this woman understands what Jesus Christ will do. Later in verse 47, we read that Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And at the end of the passage, he says again, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, this woman understood that she was a miserable sinner, but Jesus would wash away her sins, and he did. I mean, you know, when Jesus says, I forgive your sins, that's not an empty statement, brothers and sisters. It means he plucks those sins from her, throws them to the ground, tramples them under his feet, throws them out into the sea, never to be held against her ever again. And indeed, it becomes clear that this woman not only wants her sins forgiven, but she also wants to be transformed from a prostitute to the bride of Jesus Christ. We see that because in verse 37, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, we know from archaeological digs that those flasks were typically a, a little bulb with a, a very long neck and a, a, a tiny little opening on top, and it would, would hang around a woman's neck. And the ointment in there, very expensive, smell beautiful, and of course, for her, that was her stock and trade. I mean, a prostitute needs to look good, and she needs to smell good, and that's what that, that's what that little flask of precious ointment would do. It would just emit a little bit of that beautiful smell, and it would help her in her sinful, broken life. But now, she wants to anoint Jesus' feet with that ointment. Brothers and sisters, you can't just shake it out. The hole's too small. She has to break the neck to pour it all on, on Jesus' feet. And that's, that's quite something to break something like that, so precious, so valuable. But what she's showing is, I don't need this anymore. I don't want this anymore. I'm not going back. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. He washes me. He makes me whole. I want to be his bride. I want to live in a relationship with him today and forever. I want to be washed not with tears, but with his blood. And I want to be anointed not with oil, but with his Holy Spirit. That I'm born again. That I may be the bride of Christ. You know, brothers and sisters, when we, when we listen to this and we think about it, we might say to ourselves, you know, if I were her, if I was a, a sinful woman like she was, I'd probably do the same. You know, I'd, I'd fling myself at Jesus. I'd kiss his feet. I, I, would, I would beg him to forgive my sins. But I'm not that kind of sinner. I, I'm not like her. I, I believe in Jesus. I need Jesus. He's my Savior. I don't need to kiss his feet. I don't need him that desperately, do I? Well, well, well. Aren't we going to be in for a surprise? Because that's what Simon the Pharisee thought. And we're going to see how he reacts to Jesus now in our second point before we get back to us 
and ask the question, what about us? Who is Jesus to us? Now, Simon is different from the woman in every way imaginable. He doesn't know himself, and he doesn't know Jesus either. He doesn't recognize he's a sinner, and, and he doesn't need a Savior. He doesn't need Jesus in, in, in his life. And we see that in the way that he reacts to the woman, to Jesus, and the parable that Jesus is, is about to tell. Now, we're probably wondering why Simon the Pharisee would even invite Jesus to his home. But it's telling that in verse 39, Simon thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet. So Simon the Pharisee, he's been hearing about Jesus, an amazing preacher, and he did miracles. He had just raised a, a, dead, a, a woman's dead son. He's just healed the centurion's servant from a, from a distance. You know, Simon the Pharisee said, you know, this Jesus, he, he could be a somebody. He could be a prophet. I want to be a part of that. We shouldn't be surprised that Pharisees might think that way because we know that Nicodemus the Pharisee came to Jesus in the night in John 3. Plus, we know that after Pentecost, there were many Pharisees who came to faith in Jesus Christ. But any notion that Jesus might be somebody great and important is quickly dispelled for Simon the Pharisee when he sees that Jesus allows the sinful woman to come to him and touch him. Simon says, you're a fake. You're a phony. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And we see here how, how Simon the Pharisee is, is looking at the sinful woman. He's saying, you're too far gone. There's no hope for you. No place in the church. No place in heaven. You're going to hell. That's simply what it came down to. For Simon the Pharisee, she is going to hell because of her sinful lifestyle. There's no forgiveness for her. And we might be shocked that anyone could, could think that. But brothers and sisters, I've been long enough in the church to have observed the attitudes that some people have to those who have fallen into sin. Someone has hurt others financially, maybe been sexually abusive, maybe ruined his family because of addiction to alcohol and drugs. And, and, and we all, we have that attitude, you know, I, I, I'm not sure whether God would forgive you. I'm not sure that you're going to heaven. And we are repulsed by their past. That's exactly what Simon the Pharisee is doing here. He says about the woman, I don't want any part of you. Go to hell. And he's saying about Jesus, you're just a big phony. You're nothing at all. Well, Jesus Christ is about to confront Simon with his attitudes and challenge him to, to think about this. I mean, he despises the sinful woman. He sees Jesus as a phony. And Jesus is now going to tell a parable that's going to get Simon the Pharisee to examine his thinking and his attitude. 
So Jesus tells the, the parable of, of the money lender who, who lends two people money. In today's terms, let's say he lends the one person $500,000, the other person 50000 Now suppose you're one of them. Either 500000 or 50000 You have been lent that money, you know, as a mortgage for your home. Now, here's the thing doesn't matter how much you, you owe, if you can't pay it, if you can't pay off your debt, you're going to lose your home, and you're going to be on the street, and you're going to be so behind the eight ball that you might have a hard time ever being able to afford a house again. And so it's so beautiful to, to read in our text that the money lender forgives both debts. 500000 poof, it's gone. 50,000, you don't owe that either. It is all gone. Now, of course, we're probably thinking that the person with the $500,000 debt, that's the prostitute with her sinful past, but the 50,000, well, that, that'd be Simon the Pharisee, because after all, he was pretty strict in obeying God's law. Now, Jesus asked Simon the Pharisee, now, which of them will love him more? And Simon says, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus approves of that answer and says, you have judged rightly. Now, there's a certain logic to thinking if your debt is bigger, you're going to be a lot more appreciative of having that forgiven than if your debt is small. I mean, 50000 is a lot of money. 500000 to be forgiven? That's a, you don't have to, that's amazing. And the logic goes, the woman has the 500,000 debt, uh, the Simon has the 50,000 debt. Brothers and sisters, it sounds logical, but it ultimately doesn't make any sense at all. Because it doesn't matter what you owe. 500,000, 50,000. It doesn't matter whether you have one sin or a billion sins. It doesn't matter. If you can't pay, you remain in debt. You are in trouble. And when we understand we're talking here about sin, even one sin not forgiven means we're not going to spend eternity with God. We're going to hell. So you understand that this sinful woman who comes crying to Jesus, clearly confessing she's a sinner, and hearing Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, all of them, they're gone. They're not held against you anymore. She is hugely grateful to him. Whereas Simon the Pharisee saying, I'm not a sinner. I don't need Jesus. He's in trouble. Because all his sins are on him. He is still in debt. In fact, he has nothing to be thankful for because he simply doesn't get it. So at this point, Jesus looks at the woman. But he's still talking to Simon the Pharisee. So he's talking to Simon, making a point. But he's making a point about this woman. And he says... In verses 44 through 46, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Now to our, our modern ears, this sounds very strange. Washing my feet kissing me, putting ointment, oil on my head. You know, in 
43 years of the ministry, nobody ever kissed my feet. Nobody ever washed my feet when I came to their homes. Didn't happen. But we have to understand, of course, this is a cultural thing and a custom at that time. I'd like to make a comparison so that you understand what's going on here. First of all, the washing of feet. We, we mentioned earlier, you're walking all day in your sandals, in the dirt, maybe stepping a doo-doo, I don't know. But then you go and have a, a meal in a fancy place and your feet stink, very uncomfortable. So not, not, not having your feet washed would be similar to, for instance, somebody inviting me to their home for dinner, but not telling me the closest parking spot is a kilometer away. That's not very nice. That's not very friendly. That's not hospitable. And, and this, this matter of, of a kiss, not, not kissing Jesus, that would be like, you know, me coming to the door, I've been invited, you know, I, I, I knock, I, I, I go in, I hold up my hand to shake, and the person put his hands behind his back. You know you're not liked. You know you're not very welcomed. And then the lack of oil, oil which smells so beautiful, would be like being invited to somebody's home and the trash is all over the place and it stinks. It stinks in the house while you're there and while you're eating. Not very nice, not very comfortable. The point is, Simon the Pharisee got Jesus to his house, check him out just in case he is really somebody special and then he wants a part of that. But he doesn't like Jesus. He's not friendly. He's not hospitable to him. Basically treats him like dirt. And in the end we see that Simon the Pharisee does not believe that he's a sinner. He doesn't have debts. He doesn't need Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so Jesus says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. The woman knew she had debt. She brought that debt to Jesus, and Jesus says, I clear it. And she's so deeply thankful also to have a relationship with Jesus as her Lord and her Savior. Simon the Pharisee didn't see his debts, didn't ask Jesus for forgiveness, and so loved him little, didn't love him at all. You know, on the outside, Simon the Pharisee looks really good. He's an upstanding man of the community. He's, he loves God. He says he does. He keeps the law scrupulously, but you know he doesn't accept God's greatest gift of his own son to be our Lord and our Savior. And it makes you wonder, is it possible that in the church there are people who look so good, who are so active, who are always there, but don't really love Jesus? Don't really cry over their sins and find joy in the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. That brings us to our, our last point. What about us? We're all, we're all going to be confronted by God's word here this morning. What about you? What about us? What's my relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, 
really comes down to, am I going to be like Simon the Pharisee or the sinful woman, the prostitute? Nobody wants to be the prostitute. I want to be Simon the Pharisee. Living in a fancy home, having important people over for dinner. Being held in high esteem by the entire church community. Renowned for obedience to God's law. You don't really want to be like him. You want to be a prostitute. Not in the sense that you do what she did. But in the sense that you know you are a sinner. And if you could go and meet Jesus on the cross where his feet were dangling, sweaty and bloody and dirty and covered with his own tears. Would you not weep over his feet and kiss them and hug them? Because you know that should have been you, should have been me on the cross for my sins. But Jesus died for us. You know, in, in, the, in the parable, everyone has their debt cleared. Somebody's got to pay. The moneylender, he loses all the money. The moneylender himself pays. Ultimately, that's God himself. Our debts are our sins. They need to be paid for. We can't, we can't pay for, for our sins because we ourselves are sinners. But there's the depth of God's love and God's grace. He says, you can't pay I will send my son, and he will pay for you by his horrible agony, suffering, and rejection on the cross of Golgotha. That's a promise that God made already to Adam and Eve the moment they fell into sin. It's described in exquisite detail in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Our God clears all our debts because Jesus Christ paid for them fully on the cross. And this is not a small thing. He was wounded, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. What an enormous cost to God himself to send his son to take our sins so that our debts would be cleared 100%. You know, you think again of that sinful woman prostitute coming up behind Jesus, weeping over his feet, kissing them, putting ointment on them. You know, what you see is her absolute confidence. What you see is her assurance. Jesus was, was not going to kick her in the face. He wasn't going to say, get away from me, filthy woman. Jesus loved her. Jesus loved her so much that he would die for her. And indeed, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. 
She's not surprised to hear that, unlike all the other people who are sitting there. I mean, Jesus adds, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her life is completely wrapped up in Jesus Christ. She loves him. She needs him. She wants him. She wants to be washed in his blood, anointed with his Holy Spirit, that the prostitute is now the eternal bride of Jesus Christ. Jesus asked the question, who loves him more? Well, the one who loves him more, the one who loves him most, is the sinner, knows that he or she is forgiven. And we begin to, to recognize that, that Simon the Pharisee isn't just despicable, he isn't just on the wrong track. He's on an eternally dangerous track without repentance. He still has his debt. He still has his sin. And you know what the consequences of that is. Brothers and sisters, we said earlier, you know, I, that we might think, I'm not like that sinful woman. I mean, I'm not that bad. I, I, I love Jesus, I like him, but it, it's not like, did he have to die for me? Is it, is it that serious? Is it, is it that bad? Do I need him that much? Brothers and sisters, let's give our head a shake. I mean, have, have we lost sight of the truth of the gospel? I'm lost. I'm blind. I'm condemned because of my sin. But God loves me. God gave his son to die for, son to die for me. In Jesus and Jesus alone, I have life. I am whole. I'm the bride of Jesus Christ and I, I have the hope of life everlasting. Don't, don't you look at that sinful woman and say, she's nothing like me. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said, you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you are an adulterer. You call your brother an idiot and you are a murderer. I am an adulterer. I am a murderer. But I have Jesus who died for me whether it's adultery or, or murder or, or blasphemy or greed, it's washed away in his blood. You know, that, that sinful woman right now is sitting in heaven, happy, smiling, the bride of Jesus Christ. Simon the Pharisee, don't know. Maybe he's one of those Pharisees who repented after Pentecost. We don't know, that's open-ended. But it shouldn't be open-ended for us. Who is Jesus to you? What does Jesus mean for us? Do we know that we are sinners, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, made whole? I cry tears over those beautiful pierced feet of my Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Golgotha, and I kiss those feet. And I embrace the Lord Jesus. He has saved, saved us, made us his bride, that we may live forever to the praise and the glory of our God. 
Amen.